Welcome to the Powers on Sports podcast for the week of January 7th, 2019. We are already a week into the new year. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa, Florida. And tonight we are going to be talking about crowning a new national champion in college football. A familiar name, but not a familiar outcome. The rise of one Trevor Lawrence. Weeks ago we were talking Tua, now we're talking Trevor. Is this guy the best prospect in the last 15, 20 years? Should he be allowed to go straight to the NFL? He's only a freshman. And how will Alabama respond this offseason after this beatdown that they were delivered to by Dabo? We're also going to talk NFL playoffs. We're going to... Review the wild card round. We had some dramatic, couple dramatic games. The dramatic finish in Chicago between the Eagles and the Bears. We're going to preview the divisional round matchups this weekend. Four great matchups. There's an argument to be made that all eight teams in the divisional round could win. All the underdogs could could win the game as well. And last tonight, we're going to talk some coaching carousel. Lots of coaching moves being made in the NFL on the head coaching front. And we're going to discuss the hires and then the two job openings that are still available as of tonight. So, again, appreciate you joining us. You can catch us on iTunes. You can catch us on Stitcher. Again, Powers on Sports Podcast. You can reach out to us and let us know how we're doing. Our Twitter handle is at kickthefb, at kickthefb. Let us know if you have any comments, suggestions, topics you'd like to hear us talk about more often. Coming up in future episodes, we're going to have some couple of guests here in the next couple of episodes. We're going to have, hopefully, a major league player from the Tampa Bay area. We're also going to interview a couple of uh, high school coaching legends in the world of high school football here in the state of Florida. So be looking on the on the be looking out for those interviews coming up here in the next couple of weeks here on the Powers on Sports podcast. First off, I want to congratulate and welcome Mr. Bruce Arians to Tampa. Bruce is the new head coach of my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it was a great hire. We're going to get a little more in depth on the on the on the Coach Arians hire, as well as all the other NFL coaching hires, a little bit, a little bit later on in the podcast. But want to welcome Coach Arians and his lovely family to the Tampa Bay area. I have a little bit of a connection with the Arians family. I know Coach Arians' son Jake from back in my days at UAB. Jake and I got to know each other a little bit, and uh, we keep in touch every now and then. So look forward to having hopefully Jake coming in town every once in a while. Maybe we'll get to catch up with Jake and. Have lunch and maybe you can have him on the podcast here. Jake's doing well, living out in Phoenix, running Coach Arians' uh, foundation, the Arians Family Foundation, and has his own podcast. So, uh, congrats to Jake on all his success and all that good stuff. All right, let's get to the NCAA National Championship game held in Santa Clara, California, aka San Francisco 49ers Stadium, Levi Stadium. This past Monday night. First off, not a lot of buzz going into the national championship game. One, I think some of the issues with the national championship game this year with it being out on the West Coast. 
you know, the West Coast is not a huge college football mecca. You now, obviously, you had two teams from the Southeast traveling out West. You know, I read where there was tickets to be had all over the place for the game. The market for the game was not great because, one, you know, you had kind of the fourth the fourth go around here between Alabama Clemson and two, the game was out on the West coast. So that's a long, difficult travel schedule for fans and, and, and spectators to get out to, to San Francisco for the game. Um, the weather wasn't great leading up to the game, but we had a uh, pretty uh, interesting outcome. We had Clemson 44, Alabama 16. Nobody, and I mean nobody, thought Clemson was going to dominate the game like the way they did. I think people thought Clemson had an opportunity to win the game, cover the six-point spread, but I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams thought Clemson was going to run off 30 straight points. You know, people don't, if you remember, Alabama was leading in the game 16-14 early in the second quarter, and Clemson went on a 30 to nothing run from a scoring perspective and just thoroughly dominated the game. From the second quarter on, it was a uh, you know game of mistakes for for Alabama. You know, Tua Tungavailoa threw an out route interception for a touchdown on the first drive of the game. Comes right back and answers with a touchdown. Clemson goes right down the field, touchdown. Alabama answers, touchdown, missed extra point, so it's 14-13. Alabama stops, gets a hold, makes it 16-14. A big play in that game was Alabama down 14-13, had second and goal from the one, and had a false start foul, which pushed it back to the six. They were not able to punch it in, ended up having to kick a field goal, 16-14. And after that, the floodgates opened for Clemson. I guess one of the big keys in this game was just Alabama's inability to get off the field on third down. And Clemson was incredibly effective and efficient on third down. I mean, I, re- I recall third and 14 in the second second touchdown drive of the game for Clemson. Lawrence threw that about 65-yard seam pass on third and 14, and just the Alabama secondary was just in, in disarray all night long. The coming out party of one Trevor Lawrence, the true freshman from Clemson. I guess Dabo was right when he made the quarterback, the controversial quarterback change back in about week three or four of the year when he benched Kelly Bryant, who had led them to the playoff in the last year. Uh, Bryant, they got beat pretty soundly in the in the playoff game last year against Alabama, but Dabo went with Bryant to start the year off. Bryant had the impressive win at Texas A&M early in week two. They beat Texas A&M by two points. But in week four, Dabo made a very difficult decision, which kind of could have divided the team and was a little bit divisive early on. He went to Trevor Lawrence as a starter. If you recall, about a week after that, after that decision was made, Kelly Bryant came out and made the, made the decision to leave the program and decided to transfer, and he's going to end up going to Missouri as a graduate transfer. And so that was kind of the, the big you know stink with Clemson this year was the quarterback controversy. Uh, Clemson's schedule was pretty light other than the Texas A&M game. They really weren't challenged. There was one game where Lawrence got hurt probably mid-second mid mid mid-second quarter third quarter where Syracuse had them on the ropes a little bit in Death Valley the backup quarterback came in for Clemson and completed a big time pass on fourth down to keep their the, the, the drive alive they end up scoring the go ahead touchdown and beating Syracuse late but other than those two games 
Clemson really wasn't challenged. They took care of Notre Dame pretty soundly in the semifinal game, you know, and then obviously they turn around and they just beat down Alabama in the championship game from the second quarter on. Just very, uh, very quality job by Dabo and his staff of, of scheming the Alabama defense uh, against the Alabama defense. And from a Clemson defensive perspective, just a great job by v- Mac, uh, by Brent Venables, the D.C., confusing Tua, showing man, playing zone, showing zone, playing man, corner blitzes, all that stuff. The Alabama offense did not look very well prepared for the for the pressure packages that Venables brought. You know, Tua looked confused on some th- on some things that you would have thought he would have been able to handle relatively easily. He threw two interceptions and both of them were bad picks. One went back for a touchdown and then the second pick he threw, he just completely forced the ball into double coverage when he had a guy in the flat wide open for about a 15-yard gain. So just a lot of uh mistakes by Alabama. Alabama showed their desperation kind of early in the game. They were they went for it two or three times early in the game on fourth and ones, which I don't have a problem with that. Down 31 to 16 in the third quarter on the first drive, they fourth and six, they decide to run a fake field goal when Clemson is playing a safe a safe protection on the on the on the field goal attempt. Just a disastrous call for coach Saban and the staff don't know what they were thinking there. Um, you know the field goal, the, the kicking situation's been atrocious at Alabama for uh, this year. Not atrocious, but very below average. Um, you know Clemson again was playing a, a field goal safe situation where they had four or five guys off the line of scrimmage ready for the fake field goal. It was just a very ill-conceived play. You know play design. You're trying to have the the holder run a basically an isolation lead play up the middle for six yards, which had no chance in the world of working. Um, and after that, after they were stopped there, it looked it was it was pretty much lights out. Clemson took the ball, went down the field and scored again, which basically put the game away. Um, and the game was never in doubt after that after that uh, fake field goal uh, disaster. Um, interesting to see gonna, interesting to see how Alabama is going to respond. Interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence, again, now that the chatter has been back, brought up again, Trevor Lawrence is probably the number one prospect. Remember, he, he is not eligible for the draft for two more years, which is going to be the 2021 draft. He'll clearly be the number one prospect uh, for the Heisman Trophy next year. He'll also, most likely, unless he's injured, will be the number one pick in the draft in two years. And the debate is, should a, should a guy have to wait three years of uh, of college and before he's eligible for the draft in the NFL. Remember, that's an NFL rule, not a college rule. I mean, there's no rule in, in, that says you can't leave college after one year to do something, play football professionally. You're just not eligible to play in the NFL. So, technically, he could probably he could leave and go play in Canadian Football League, or he could t- technically leave and go play in the Alliance of American Football. But he's not eligible for the NFL draft. He will definitely be the first pick in the draft, and, and again, the question that, the question is going to be: Should he be allowed to do that? I don't personally think he should be allowed to leave college after one year. Uh, it would not surprise me in the next handful of years if if a compromise was made to allow players to leave college after two years, because the way football has developed in the last ten or twelve years, so many more players are ready to play as freshmen in college. At, at the skill positions, especially receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, 
that those guys could are potentially more much more ready to play in the NFL as a true would be as coming out after their sophomore year than they have been in the past. Again, the passing game is so much more developed. Quarterback play is so much more developed. Um, not a lot of guys, or even even the superstar players, the the Trevor Lawrence's, the Marshall Falks of the world, the Maurice Clarets, the Mike Williams. There's only been a few guys over the years where you could you could legitimately say that guy is ready to play in the NFL after his freshman year. I mean, it's it's it is so few and far between. Um, especially in the NFL, where, where the physicality is such a factor, the, the physical development, the maturity is such a factor, whereas in the NBA, hockey, some of these other sports where there's not nearly as much of a difference between the pros and the collegiate players and the amateur players as far as physical maturity and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a very interesting question to, to, to see what people, what people uh, the, the powers that be, decide potentially to negotiate. Again, that's something you'll have to negotiate with the Players Association between the NCAA and the NFL Players Association. But again, Trevor Lawrence, tremendous performance. Pure pocket passer, just carved up the Alabama secondary and the Alabama defense. And again, it'd be very interesting to see how Nick Saban and the, and, and, and the Alabama program responds to this. Remember, Tua has one more year. But he's not draft eligible till the end of next year as well. Um. Tua did not play very well in the, in the championship game. Um, his couple of games that he did play against high-quality defenses were not his best performances. You know, LSU, he struggled a little bit against Auburn early. Uh, he played pretty well against Oklahoma, but they're, to me, they're not an elite-level defense. So it'll be interesting to see how, how Tua matures from a mental perspective going into his junior year. So... Sounds like Jalen Hurts is, is going to transfer. He's he's applied for, uh, basically put his name, made his name available in the transfer kind of window to transfer. So it'll be interesting to see where Jalen Hurts ends up. He has one more year of eligibility. We'll be able to transfer free of charge because he's graduated. Um, so it'll be quite interesting to see where he ends up. Justin Fields, the, the highly touted freshman quarterback at Georgia, made his transfer official to Ohio State this week. He's also he's also applying to the NCAA for an for an immediate waiver to play at Ohio State immediately and not have to sit out a year. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, process goes. That supposedly should be determined in the next four to six weeks about his appeal process to to allow him to be eligible to play immediately. So congratulations, Dabo Sweeney. They are Clemson is definitely the now the new kings of the hill of college football. <clears throat> After basically a ten-year run by Alabama, Clemson has has taken is taking over has taken over that mantle as the kings of college. Alabama is not a far is is a very close second, but definitely those two programs have separated themselves from everybody else. <coughs> so, again, Clemson is now the hunter and not the hunted. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys react and respond, and as well as Clemson. Uh, coaching news-wise, from on the on the uh, coaching front, you had a, a couple more. Of the Alabama assistants are leaving the program. Mike Loxley's taking over the job at Maryland. The other kind of co-offensive coordinator at Alabama's le- has, is announced he's leaving, going to Michigan. Michigan lo- has lost a couple of defensive assistants to Ohio State, which is a pretty rare thing to see. Greg Madison, one of the uh, you know. Very experienced veteran defensive guys in the country is leaving Ohio State, heading to Michigan. Ohio State also 
uh, fired Greg Schiano, their defensive coordinator. So it'll be interesting where they go. But again, one thing if you if you watch the broadcast, they talked about is just all the turnover Alabama's had in their coaching staff the last five six years. Whereas Clemson has been a very stable uh, coaching staff, only lost a couple of assistant coaches. But Alabama's lost something like 14 or 15 assistant coaches in like the last four or five years. You know, some of the criticism with Coach Saban and his and the program there is is that Coach Saban really just is, grinds down those assistant coaches where it's just kind of a never-ending, uh, you know, the work and, and the workload and all that is, is kind of a never-ending process. And, and that some of these coaches are looking just look to get out of there because it's just such a grueling uh, proposition to work for Coach Saban. Uh, you know, the, the thoughts are that kind of Clemson is more of a family atmosphere as far as the coaching staff and coaching situation goes, where they treat the coaches a little bit, where Dabo treats the coaches a little more, I won't say like humans, but, you know, appreciates the family element of, 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 of the coaches having families and family time and all that kind of stuff. But just two different ways to uh, run your program. Both have been incredibly successful. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see moving forward how both Clemson and Alabama respond to this uh, outcome of 44-16 and also how other teams in the country try to try to close the gap. The Ohio States of the world, the Floridas, the Georgias, the Texases of the world. Um, you know, there's a big gap between Alabama and Clemson and everybody else, but uh, there'll be some teams that'll, that'll push. Lincoln, Lincoln Riley staying at, uh, staying at Oklahoma. You know, Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer. You know, Georgia reloading, loading up with with, with uh, Kirby Smart. Texas with a very impressive bowl performance victory over Georgia with Tom Herman. Um, the question is, can teams from the West Coast, can USC get back in the mix? Can Oregon get back in the mix? Can the Florida, Florida State kind of team get back in the mix? Dan Mullen doing a great job at Florida recruiting, getting Florida back. You know, can Oklahoma – Get enough, get just enough defense to be able to be a competitive program. It's, you know the offense has never been an issue, but it's the defense. Can Notre Dame answer the bell when they play the heavyweights? They're they're terrific when they're playing the pretty good teams. It's a matter of when they're playing the championship level teams. Can they answer the bell and show 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 off what they're capable of? Brian Kelly doing a good job there. I really thought Notre Dame was going to play Clemson much tighter. Maybe it shows that. Maybe Notre Dame's not as poor as we thought with even though Notre Dame got beat by you know four touchdowns, Clemson turned around and beat Alabama by four touchdowns. So is there that much of a gap between Notre Dame and Alabama, Notre Dame and Georgia, and those, those kind of, Notre Dame and Oklahoma, who knows? So new set of guys, new set of players coming in. But congratulations, Dabo, on his second national championship. And he he is a hero in, in Clemson, South Carolina. You can be assured of that. I'm surprised the NFL team hasn't called Dabo to see if he's interested. Doesn't seem like anybody has done that. Um, so, wrapping up the college football season. So, again, spring football football will be here right before we know it. You know, we'll, recruiting the recruiting uh, season's got about two, about three more weeks till till the first of February for the final rounds of signing day. There was a signing day in mid-December where a bunch of your top-level recruits committed and signed scholarships. Uh, they've got the new the new signing period now, the early signing period in December, followed up by the, the traditional signing period in early early February. So your teams will st- still st- are still out on the recruiting trail and all that good stuff. So 
All right, so that's a wrap to the college football season. Let's let's transition to the NFL playoffs. We've got some uh, great matchups in the divisional round this week. We'll, we'll do a quick review uh, of the wild card. But first off, I want to congratulate Sarah Thomas. She's an official. The first she's she's the uh, feet one of the she's the feet first female official to ever who's ever going to referee a playoff game. She's going to be a down judge. This week in the divisional playoff game. So big shout out to Sarah Thomas. Again, she made history by becoming the first female official in the NFL. And now she's the first female official who's going to be working in the um, NFL playoffs. I want to give a shout out to my, uh, uh, you know, a contact of mine, Jimmy Russell. He uh, worked the Rose Bowl um, game between Washington and Ohio State did a great job in that game. Also, another colleague of mine, a guy named Brian Davis, he worked in that same game. That was an SEC crew. I've known Brian for a few years. I reached a referee high school football with Brian. So Brian's doing great work in the SEC, and as well as Jimmy Russell. So those guys are uh, should be very proud of their accomplishment working the uh, Rose Bowl this year. And also, other big, big kind of tidbit of news between the college and the pro game, Kyler Murray. Sounds like from all indications that one Kyler Murray is going to make himself eligible for the NFL draft. Kind of a very interesting situation with Murray. Obviously, he was, if you don't know, Murray is a first-round draft pick of the Oakland A's in the in MLB. Got a about a five million dollar, four and a half, five million dollar signing bonus. And the question has been, is he gonna play football? Is he gonna play baseball? Might he try to play both? You know, from the what it sounds like is he's gonna make himself eligible for the draft. Kind of the early draft projections are that he's probably a mid to late round pick, but obviously those things can change very rapidly. If he goes to the combine and does very well at the combine and his workouts, he's a prototypical spread quarterback. I mean, the only the, the biggest knock against Kyler is his size. He's only about 5'9 at best, maybe 5'10, um, but he's a, he- he's a hell of a thrower of the ball. He's not your typical run first guy. He definitely is a he can throw the ball. He's also got elusive speed and he can run as well. But with as many with more and more pro NFL teams going to college concepts on the spread offense and all that stuff, it'll be very interesting to see how his draft prospects are rated, how he gets evaluated by the some of these GMs. These 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 GMs and these ownership groups are making some very interesting hires offensive coaching hires and we're going to talk about that here a little bit later in the podcast about these different coaching hires and the in the in the link to the college game and the offense and spread and all that and the Sean McVay effect so be interesting to see as we move closer and closer to the as we get through the draft process Kyler Murray what's he going to do is he going to go to spring training is he not is he going to, is he going to focus on football my guess is he's, he's going to string out football as long as he can. If he is a top 10 or 15 draft pick in the NFL, or even a first-round pick, it would not shock me if he went and played football to see how his football career ended up. You know, the argument is, do you go with the longevity of baseball where you can, you know, less wear and tear on your body, all that stuff, or do you go for it as a, as a football quarterback where you're going to get a big signing bonus on the front side. If you do very well, you'll you'll sign a mega contract as a, in your second contract as a quarterback to where you're making 25, 30 million bucks a year pretty easily. Whereas in baseball, he's probably looking at a five or six year period before he can make any big money playing baseball. 
it's going to take him a minimum of two to three years to get through the minor leagues. At best, if he's a if he's a top quality prospect, and we don't even really know what kind of baseball prospect he really is. Um, so, very interesting. I think he's going to play football, and I think he's somebody's going to take a flyer on him in the first round, and I think they're going to try to uh, mold an offense around him and see what he can do as as a quarterback. Wild card weekend. We had the Colts went to Houston and thoroughly beat down the Houston Texans. Again, it was a it's to me it was a it was a it was a game of interior offensive line play. That the running game of the Colts was great, and the in, and the Houston Texans just not enough offensive firepower. Deshaun Watson did not play very well. Very limited offensive weapons with only basically Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson as well as DeAndre Hopkins. So the Colts go and win 21-7 in Houston. We had a great game Saturday night in Big D where the Cowboys hung on to beat the Seattle Seahawks in maybe one of the bad beats of the year with 24-22 final. The interesting part of that game was Janikowski, the kicker for Seattle, hurt his leg on the last play of the first half on a 57-yard field goal, which kind of forced Seattle to have to play differently in the second half, had to go for it a couple times when they necessarily wouldn't have done that. And they also had to go for two points twice. Invariably, they made them both times, but from a point spread perspective, Dallas was minus two points, and the, and the Dallas was up 10 with about three minutes to go in the game. And not even that, less than three minutes, about a minute 50. Seattle went down the field, scored to make it a four-point game, and conventional wisdom would have been they would have kicked the extra point had Janikowski not been hurt, which would have made the score three which would have mean Dallas would have covered the number. Or if you'd had Seattle, you'd have lost. But with Janikowski out, they went for they had to go for two, went for two and made it. So it goes from a four-point game to a two-point game. Vegas is going wild because everybody who's got Dallas is a loser because the game started at two and a half. And everybody who's got Seattle is a winner, plus two and a half. So big, big... <laughs> Swing of swing of dollars in Las Vegas and around the country for all you uh, for all of you guys that like to make a play on the game with that injury situation. The Cowboys played very well. Zeke Elliott ran the ball very effectively. Dak Prescott played very well. Uh, Amari Cooper played very well. I thought Seattle got into the rut of running the ball too much. They fell in love with the run too much. Russell Wilson should have been allowed to, to open it up a little bit. They were they had success throwing the ball. They just didn't throw it enough. And when they did, they 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 did. They just kind of ran out of time. Huge play in the game was a third and fourteen quarterback draw by Prescott, up three points with about the two about the two minute warning. If Seattle stops them, they kick a field goal to go up six points, and Russell Wilson would have had the ball with about a minute forty left to go win the game, down six. They didn't stop them. Dallas punches it in, and Dallas is moving on to Los Angeles to play the Rams. L.A. Chargers went to Baltimore, the you know, and took care of business against the Ravens. You know, the big big storyline out of that game is did did Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson's inability to move the ball did John Harbaugh stay with Lamar Jackson too long? It was twenty one to twenty one to three deep into the fourth quarter, uh, ended up being twenty three to three. You know. Lamar Jackson scored two garbage touchdowns late in the game, which made the game a little bit closer. But really, that game really was never in doubt, to be honest with you. Um, San L.A. Chargers defense played tremendous. Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, 
They went to a unique 7-DB alignment on defense to stop that running game. Lamar Jackson's inability to throw the ball the first three and a half quarters was quite evident. But he is just not ready to be a pocket passer at the NFL level. And uh, Phillip Rivers did just enough to get it done. A very methodical game plan. Um, and they head to New England for the divisional round. And in the final game of the week, the dramatic finish in Chicago where the Eagles pull a stunning upset over the Chicago Bears. Cody Parkey hits the upright and the crossbar on the last play of the game on a 43-yard field goal. You know, big, uh, you know, from a kicking perspective, a poor kick by Parkey. You know, people are going to talk about, well, the kick got deflected. Well, that that guy's fingertip on that ball had nothing to do with Cody Parkey's uh, basically pull hook on that on that kick. It was a terribly executed kick by Parkey. 43 yards. His mechanics were poor. He pulled the ball significantly. Uh, very poor kick from a mechanical mechanical perspective. You know, he kicked he kicked the ball through the uprights prior to the. Uh, when Doug Peterson called timeout prior to the, the last kick. Much better kick on that kick, but on the final kick of the game with all the pressure and all the money on the line, bounce, bounce off the upright, then off the crossbar, no good. Chicago loses 16-15. Chicago blew the lead up 15-10, to allowed Nick Foles to go about 60 yards in the last four minutes of the game. You know, uh, some – Questionable clock management by Chicago late in the game. Philadelphia caught a ball just under the two-minute warning at the two-yard line, made it first and goal to two. Matt Nagy, instead of using a timeout there, allowed 40 seconds to run off the clock and before he started using his timeouts. Chicago got the ball. Nick Foles with an incredible fourth-down throw to Golden Tate. Again, this guy, Nick Foles, is unbelievable in the pressure moments of the playoffs. And again, the the the, you know, what do you do with Nick Foles following this year? If that guy takes that team to the Super Bowl again, Philadelphia management is going to have a major major problem on their hands. How do you sell trading Nick Foles in the offseason, who's taking you potentially to two Super Bowls, and and riding everything on Carson Wentz when Wentz has been hurt? Uh, Foles has been so good in the playoffs, so good under pressure. The team just seems to have such a feel with him in the game. Whether it's, you know, it's not always pretty with Nick Foles. He did throw two bad interceptions in the game. But when it was go time at the end, Nick Foles took the Eagles, you know, 65-plus yards against the championship-level defense on the road in the cold weather and delivered with the game-winning touchdown. So lots of interesting decisions coming up here for the Eagles in the offseason. We'll talk about their divisional matchup here versus the New Orleans Saints in just a minute. So you have divisional matchups this weekend, Saturday, Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium. The number one seeded Chiefs are going to host the number five seeded Indianapolis Colts. Excuse me, the six seed Indianapolis Colts. Again, Andrew Luck. That running game, that offensive line is playing unbelievable. The defense has been the best defense in the league the last 10 weeks or so in the season from a points-per-game perspective. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Colts, is a high-rising uh, head coaching candidate. Probably may not get a job this year, but definitely will get a job next year if he, if he continues to do good work in Indianapolis. Frank Reich doing an unbelievable job with that Indianapolis offense. 
He was a guy nobody wanted to hire last year, did a great job, was the was the third or fourth choice for Indianapolis after Josh McDaniels left left uh you know turned the job down at the twelfth hour. They hire Frank Reich. He's created a culture of winning. He's protecting Andrew Luck. Big credit to Chris Ballard, the general manager, for putting together an offensive line to protect Andrew. Andrew's getting the ball out of his hands. Luck is playing tremendous football. Over 40 touchdown passes this year, including the playoffs. They head to Kansas City versus the number one seed, Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs. Andy Reid, playoff disappointment in the past. Kansas City hasn't won a home playoff game since 1993 and won Joe Montana was the quarterback. That's hard to believe. Um, Mahomes' offense, their poorest defense against Andrew Luck in that offense. The running game of Marlon Mack, he had a tremendous game last week in the wild card game in Houston. Had over 135, 140 yards rushing. Um, how will Kansas City deal with that running game? And how will Indianapolis deal with the Kansas City passing attack? Supposed to be cold weather in Kansas City, potentially some snow. Um Kansas City right now is about a five and a half, six point, about a five and a half point favorite over the Colts. Uh, very tricky, very tricky line there. I could see the, I could see Kansas City winning the game by, you know, by a touchdown, but I could also see Indianapolis going in there and, and taking that game all the way to the wire. You know, I think the kicking game will be a factor with Vinatieri versus Butker. You know, you, you know, the best kicker of all time, pressure kickers in Adam Vinatieri. Again. Pass rush. Can the pass rush of Kansas City get to Andrew Luck? And can the pass rush of the Colts get to Mahomes? Because Mahomes is going to score points. They got a prolific offense. Sammy Watkins supposed to be back in the mix. You got Kelsey. You got Tyreek Hill. You got Damian Williams playing very well. So I expect some points in this game. Last week was a game of defense for most of the wild card games or defensive battles. But I definitely think this weekend you'll see some more offensive uh, point totals. Higher than normal because you got the offensive teams are in the playoffs with the buys. You got Sandy. I mean, you got the Rams. You got Kansas City. You got the Patriots. Uh, you got the Saints. So I definitely think you're going to see some points this week. My prediction in Kansas City, Indianapolis. I'm going to take Kansas City to win the game by seven points. I'm going to say 31-24 Kansas City uh, in a very entertaining game in divisional game number one. Divisional game number two. Los Angeles Coliseum, Saturday night, Fox Television, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, the Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys, come a-calling to the Coliseum to face the number two-seeded L.A. Rams. Again, the Rams, all the hype going into the year, all the defensive additions, the spending of the money, Dominican Sue, Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, you paid Aaron Donald. So they went all in this year on the defense. The defense has been a disappointment. The offense sputtering here of late. Todd Gurley's been out injured. Sounds like he's going to be back to full health playing. Can Jared Goff and the Rams get it done on the offensive side? Very much need Todd Gurley in that running game to get moving. You know, they got beat pretty soundly last year by the Falcons in their in their first playoff game with McVay. Everybody touting McVay is the genius, the boy wonder. All his all his coaching colleagues are getting jobs. Uh, you know, guys that have had any kind of relationship with McVeigh are getting head coaching jobs left and right. Um, but that's the key. 
Key for the Dallas Cowboys. You have to run the ball with Ezekiel Elliott. Can you establish the running game? Zeke played very well last week against Seattle, had well over 100 yards rushing. Can the Cowboys run the ball effectively against the Rams and stay out of the obvious passing downs? Dak played very well last week. But again, balance. You have to have balance if you're the Cowboys. L.A. Rams defense is very porous against the run, one of the worst run defenses in the league, which is pretty surprising given that they have Indomitian Sue and a pretty good defensive line with Donald, Sue, and company. Um, and again, you're going to have a big – one of the big factors in this game to me is going to be the crowd. You're going to have a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans out in the Coliseum. Dallas has training camp out there, huge following for the Cowboys in California. So there'll be a lot of Cowboy fans there, so it will not be a true home field advantage uh, for the Rams. I think I think there's a lot of pressure on McVay and the Rams to get it done this week uh, against the Cowboys. I think they're going to get it done. The spread is seven points. I could see this game being right out, right around the number seven to ten point game late in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lean to the Rams. Um, but again, it would not, again, you could definitely make the argument that the Cowboys can get it done on defense. The defensive front seven for Dallas is very, very good. The pass rush is very good. The linebackers with Vander, Vander Esch and Jalen Smith is tremendous. A pretty good secondary. And again, very interesting matchup. Be nice weather out in LA, so that won't be an issue. So I'm going to take the Rams to get it done to move on to the NFC championship game. Uh, but I, uh, I would probably tease up the Cowboys to plus thirteen in my what I would do. That seven points is pretty is 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 really really tough to call there. Um, gun to my head, I would probably take the Rams minus the seven, maybe buy it down to six and a half if you have an opportunity to do that. Okay, here we go. The game that a lot of people think is going to be an upset: the L.A. Chargers heading to Foxborough Sunday one o'clock. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, CBS. Be very interesting to see how the Chargers respond to, to their second back-to-back East Coast trip, their second back-to-back one o'clock start time on the road again. They've got a tremendous year on the road as playing playing as road uh, as a road team. Tom Brady week off. The last a lot of people think this is the last stand for the Patriots. Not a lot of people are talking about the Patriots going. Advancing past this game. Lots of talk and chatter this week about the Chargers winning the game. Um, I think the travel is going to catch up to the Chargers. I think those back-to-back trips is very taxing on you. I think it's, the weather is not supposed to be very good as well. And Gillette supposed to be some snow, potentially. Three to four inches of snow. I think Belichick with a week to prepare. Uh Brady, Gronkowski is, is going to be as healthy as he's, as he's going to be. So I think if you're going to get a big game out of Gronkowski, it's going to be this week with as healthy, healthy as he's going to be. I think you're going to see a heavy dose of the running game for the Patriots. Um, I don't know if Sandy or LA, the, the Chargers would have survived last week if, they're, if they would have played against a decent passing game. Brady's going to definitely – they're going to have some wrinkles in the game plan, you can be assured. I think you're going to see a lot of screen passes, a lot of short balls to the running backs. James White, Sony Michelle, heavy dose of Sony Michelle this week. You're going to get a lot of Sony. You're going to get some play action. I think you're going to see big games, a couple big catches out of Chris Hogan, a couple big catches out of Gronkowski. Again, say what you want about Gronkowski. The guy's still going to be a factor, and you still have to deal with him. 
Uh, he's not what he was two or three years ago. But again, I think in a one-game, two-game scenario, you're going to get two of Gronkowski's better games. He's got, his again, as much rest as he's going to have in these next two weeks. And I think you'll get a good game. I think the Patriot defense is always good in the red zone. Uh, and again, I think the kicking game will come into play. I think Guskowski is going to have a major edge over Badgley. Badgley's a rookie kicker for the Chargers. Goskowski's seen it all, done it all, all weather conditions. So I think the kicking game will come back to, to, to roost against for the Chargers once again. And I think the Patriots are going to get it done in Foxborough one more time. Score is going to be 27 New England, 14 Chargers, 27-14 New England advances to the end to the AFC title game. I think they're going to head to Kansas City for an epic showdown with the Chiefs. And then the final playoff game in New Orleans, Nick Foles and the magic of the Philadelphia Eagles will go to New Orleans to see Drew Brees and the Saints. Pretty interesting uh, situation this week. Sean Payton brings out $225,000 worth of cash, cash money, to the practice, to the fellas in the team meeting room to show them how much money each man would make if they win the Super Bowl. He literally brought $225,000 in cash and laid it on a table for the whole team to see. Every man in that room would get that much money if they win the Super Bowl. So, again, I think it's a tough road to hoe for the the Eagles this week. New Orleans is about a a 7.5, 8-point favorite. I think two weeks to get ready for the Saints. Very well-balanced offense. The Eagles coming off an emotional high of surviving that game in Philadelphia. I mean, in Chicago last week with the field goal. I just have a tough time seeing the Eagles winning the game. The spread's eight. I don't. I think it's. I think New Orleans is going to beat them pretty soundly by a couple scores. If you recall, they played earlier in the year and it was forty-eight to seven, New Orleans. Back when Carson Wentz was playing, probably the low point, obviously the low point of the season for the Eagles. You know, there's spec, you know, there's talk about the Eagles feeling like they the score got run up on them by Peyton and all that, but I don't buy it. You know, you're gonna see um, I think you're gonna see a heavy dose of Kamara. You're gonna see a heavy dose of Drew Brees, just a well, well, well uh, positioned game plan. You're gonna see just an, a lot a lot of I won't say dink and dunks, but you'll see a lot of intermediate passes. I think the return of Ted Ginn is going to be huge for the uh, the ability for Mike Thomas to not have all the double coverage every single play. You're going to see Ted Ginn get a lot of single coverage, and he can still take the top off the roof uh, as far as the deep threat goes. And, again, I think you're going to see Kamara and Ingram do very well uh, running the ball, and you're going to see Kamara coming out of the backfield matching up against those Philadelphia linebackers and safeties. And I, I think you're going to see a convincing win by the – uh, New Orleans Saints is going to, and then, then all the decisions and all the speculation about what the Eagles are going to do with Nick Foles begins. But I think you're going to see the Philadelphia Eagles run end Sunday in New Orleans. New Orleans wins the game 33 20. 33 20. New Orleans setting up a great NFC Championship rematch between the Saints and the Rams. And the AFC, you're going to have the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. So, all right. Let's get to the coaching hires. The NFL, several, there was eight openings in the coaching front in 
Six of them have been filled with a seventh one about to be filled. So let's go down the, get down the list of all the coaching hires. We'll start off with my hometown Buccaneers. They decided to hire Bruce Arians, kind of the most, uh, you know, most public secret out there. They, they, their eye has been on Bruce Arians for several weeks now. As the regular season wound down, when all this, when it, when it was pretty, pretty apparent that Dirk Cutter was going to get let go, who, ironically, is going back to Atlanta to be the OC in Atlanta, place where he had some very good success prior to with Matt Ryan. Dirk Cutter let go. The Bucks bring in Eric Bieniemy, Chris Richard, George Edwards, and Bruce Arians. And Arians was the clear leader in the clubhouse from the get-go, and he did get the job as a as the head coach. I think it's a home run hire for the Bucks. Arians has had tremendous success working with quarterbacks: Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, um, Carson Palmer. All to to really really good success. Uh, his job is going to be to harness and make Jameis Winston Winston blossom as a quarterback. Winston going into his fifth-year option on a one-year contract, basically. And it's Bruce Arians' job to resurrect and, and get all the maxim, maximize Jameis Winston talent. He has talent. He's got offensive weapons. Arians has a very progressive offense. I think there, there's a potential to do very, very well. Arians is looking at this as not a rebuild job for the team, but a reload. Bringing in Todd Bowles is a big get for the Bucks on defense. He's going to be the defensive coordinator. I think he's going to be a, an immediate upgrade as far as the defensive talent. Again, there's some decisions to make on the defensive side of the ball with Levante David, with Gerald McCoy, what to do there. Do you bring him back? All that stuff. I think you're going to see a big, big jump by the Buccaneer defense. And I think you're going to see a big jump by the Buccaneer team as in general. Arians did great work in Arizona uh, with again with Palmer and resurrecting that franchise. And the Bucks coached him out of retirement here with uh, coming out of the broadcast booth. I think he's going to be a great, uh, great, great for the community. Very much a straight shooter. Tell you what he thinks. Not going to put up with any BS in the locker room. I think that was one of the issues was putting up with the you know the locker room did not didn't seem like they had the best culture in the locker room. I think it's gonna be a, a very buttoned up locker room. The guy's gonna want to play for Bruce Arians. I think it's a home run hire for Bruce Arians. Cleveland hired Freddie Kitchens, promoted Freddie Kitchens from the OC position. He was he initially started the year as a running back coach, got promoted to the OC when Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were fired. Did a great job developing. Baker Mayfield and I think Cleveland made the decision we got we can't let this guy get out of the building because if he didn't get the head coaching job he probably wasn't staying he probably would have ended up in Tampa with with uh, Bruce Arians had he not got the Cleveland job so Cleveland promotes Freddie Kitchens who's never been a head coach in the NFL at the college level or even the high school level so that part of it would be interesting to see who he hires to help him on the defensive side they did not retain Greg Williams in Cleveland which you, you expected that not to happen. So it'll be interesting to see who, who Freddie Kitchens brings in to help, you know, manage that staff and help help that staff and how he's gonna handle being a head coach. Freddie Kitchens was a disciple of Bruce Arians, worked many years for Arians in Arizona. Um, another Alabama guy, Freddie Kitchens used to play quarterback at Alabama back when I was in uh, Alabama playing at UAB. So I know the name pretty well. But again, he did a great job with Baker Mayfield, so that'll be an interesting hire. 
The Green Bay Packers kind of go off the grid, hire Matt LaFleur, the OC from Tennessee. The interesting tidbit here is LaFleur has connections to Sean McVay. Uh, he worked as McVay's kind of offensive coordinator, quarterbacks guy in LA last year. Got got a new got promoted to OC in Tennessee this year. Was not spectacular as an OC in Tennessee, but again, the McVay factor got glowing reviews. But how how the the the, the number one question is here: Is he going to be able to handle Aaron Rodgers? Get Aaron Rodgers to play more disciplined. Get Aaron Rodgers to be more of a leader. Get Aaron Rodgers and be more creative offense. I think he's going to be much more creative offensively than the Packers were with Rodgers and McCarthy. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers wants that creativity more. Um, I think that was one of the things that that irked Rodgers with McCarthy is I think he thought the offense was pretty stale, not a lot of uh, intricacies and not a lot of creativity in the Green Bay offense in the last couple of years. I think you'll see some some Sean McVay-esque creativity with LaFleur. But again, a pretty young guy, uh, so that, that that relationship of Rodgers and LaFleur will dictate kind of how LaFleur does. If they don't have a great relationship, he won't be there very long. But So we'll see. So interesting hire there. Denver Broncos hire Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator from the Bears, kind of a Kind of off the against the the, the the trend of hiring young offensive guys. Fangio's kind of an older defensive guy. This this hire reminds me of what the Arizona Cardinals did when they gave Bruce Arians an opportunity six seven years ago. Arians had been an offensive coordinator for many many years in the league, very successful, but had never got that opportunity to be a head coach. He finally did, and he he flourished in Arizona. I could see a similar thing here in Denver. With Fangio as a defensive guy, been a great defensive coordinator for the last probably 20 years in the NFL. Chicago Bears, uh, San Francisco 49ers when they were rolling with Jim Harbaugh and Kaepernick. When they went to the Super Bowl and all those NFC Championship games, Fangio was the defensive coordinator. So I think this is a good move in Denver. Denver brought back Gary Kubiak to be the offensive coordinator. Again, the key there is can they find a quarterback? Is Case Keenum the answer? They definitely need to draft somebody, a young quarterback. Elway has not done very well drafting quarterbacks. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of quarterback situation they can put together in Denver. I could see Keenum getting one more year in Denver and then drafting somebody this year. But again, I think it's a good hire with Denver with Fangio. You've got the New York Jets just announced Adam Gase is going to be their head coach. Kind of an interesting hire here. You know, all the speculation and, and the odds are were, were that McCarthy was going to get this job and, and from Green Bay with Sam Darnold. But I think it came down to, I think McCarthy was asking for a lot of money and asking for a lot of control in the, of the personnel, and I don't think the Jets wanted to do that. So I think that's kind of where Adam Gase comes in. Adam Gase, not a very successful run in Miami, was run out of Miami this year. Sounds like he burned some bridges with ownership and, and kind of the, the front office people down there. Uh, Gase is a good offensive mind, but he didn't really show that a whole lot in Miami. He had a lot of success with Peyton Manning, developing him, and a little bit of success with Jay Cutler, but not a lot of not a lot of uh, create not a lot of productivity. It seemed like with Tannehill, so it'd be a very interesting hire with with uh, Adam Gase. Apparently, he got a glowing recommendation from Peyton Manning. My prediction, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. One year from now, you're going to see Peyton Manning as the 
president of football operations for the New York Jets. I got a funny feeling that Peyton Manning is going to sit out one more year and you're going to see Peyton Manning take over the New York Jets franchise as the kind of the president of football operations. And I think that the Johnsons, Woody Johnson in, in, the, in the Jets ownership, made this hire with Adam Gase with Peyton Manning in mind for this time next year. Going to give the GM one year. Um, unless they just blow it out of the – hit a home run and win 10, 11, 12 games, I think you're going to see McCagnin get run out of New York as the GM. I think you're going to see them hire Peyton Manning one year from now as the new president of football operations, New York Jets. Remember I said that. Since uh, Cincinnati looks like they're going to hire Zach Taylor from all indications. Zach Taylor is the quarterback's, again, a McVay disciple, the quarterback's coach in L.A. right now. Sounds like as soon as they get beat in the playoffs or their playoff run ends, that he's going to become the coach of the Bengals. Again, low cost. He's a you know coordinator. The Bengals don't like to spend a lot of money, so it's a, it's a low cost hire. Again, offensive mind for Andy Dalton. It'd be interesting to see what they do with Andy Dalton if they keep him. I think you you're going to see some more creativity come out of Cincinnati, who's a pretty stale franchise, pretty backwards in their you know prog- not very progressive in their scouting and in their front office operations. So that's going to be an interesting decision there. Maybe the most interesting hire of them all, Arizona Cardinals. Hire Cliff Kingsbury. Who? Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, the guy that was just fired at Texas Tech this last year. Was six years at Texas Tech, losing record at his alma mater. Got fired. Got hired by USC as their offensive coordinator. Lynn Swan, the AD at USC, was refusing to allow Kingsbury to interview for jobs. I think Kingsbury basically quit at USC in order to be interviewed. Gil Brandt came out and said earlier in the week that Kingsbury was going to be a strong candidate to get hired by somebody. Whatever happened at USC, they allowed Kingsbury to go get interviewed by the Jets and the Cardinals, and the Jet and the Cardinals gobbled him up, named them their his named Kingsbury the head coach. Very much interesting, a very interesting hire. The air, kind of the air raid offense, very much offensive minded. Kingsbury gets a lot of kudos from 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 people around the college world about his his game plan ability, his X's and O's ability. But can Cliff Kingsbury go into an NFL locker room and command the room, command fifty three men, professional athletes? That's going to be the question. You know, Kingsbury's kind of best known for being the good-looking guy, the good-looking offensive guy in Texas Tech. Not a very successful record, but you also have to remember at Texas Tech, <clears throat> pretty hard to be uber successful at Texas Tech given the resources, facilities, and who you're competing against every year in the Oklahomas, the Texases, the Texas A&Ms of the world. Uh, so can you expect Cliff Kingsbury to, to win nine or ten games at Texas Tech? Probably not, but... Uh, just interesting that they fired, you know, he went to Texas Tech, was a legend at Texas Tech as a quarterback, but he got rave reviews from coaches around the country, good reviews from Tom Brady. He, he had a, a, a stint in New England as a quarterback. Bill Belichick gives him high, high, high marks as an offensive guy, guru. But can Cliff Kingsbury assemble an, a, a veteran staff to help him navigate the uh, – the trials and tribulations of the NFL. Can he develop Josh Rosen? Remember, the Cardinals have the number one pick in the draft. 
Um, do you draft a quarter? Do you, do you, you know, I heard a speculation today. Do you, do you potentially figure out a way to draft Kyler Murray and trade Josh Rosen? Do you draft? Do you trade down if you're the Cardinals uh, and accumulate picks? The Cardinals are desperately a very poor franchise last year. Very poor year. Steve Wilkes run out of Arizona after one year. A lot of people thought that shouldn't have happened, but I didn't. It, it didn't bother me. They did that. Arizona was very uncompetitive in a lot of games last year, so it did not. Uh, you know, I was not super shocked that they ran Wilkes out of town, but Cliff Kingsbury probably the most polarizing hire of the coaching carousel. The only two jobs left, the one job left is really the Miami Dolphins, and there's you know speculation of a couple names there, possibly either Eric Bieniemy or Chris Richard are probably in line to get that job. You know, the Dolphins need some excitement in Miami. They need a quarterback. They got they, they have to move on from Tannehill. Uh, it would not shock, sounds like either Richard or Eric Bieniemy are going to get that job. So we'll see what happens there. And so the coaching carousel, the divisional round of the this is maybe the most exciting weekend of the NFL playoffs. Four games, two days, you know, drama, high drama. All four games are super competitive. All eight teams could win the game. You could make an argument for all eight teams to win the game. I'm taking the Chiefs, the Rams. My best bet as of the of the weekend is either is gonna the Saints and the Patriots. Give me the Patriots minus the four. I like the Saints and the Rams and a teaser six six seven point teaser. If you like to do teasers, um, so great weekend of football. We had a great week in the college ranks. Uh, climact, uh, kind of an anticlimactic championship game. Clemson Tigers national champions for the second time in the last. Three years, four years. Uh, Dabo Sweeney getting it done. Clemson, South Carolina, rock star, legend. We'll have the the statue up next to, in Death Valley, no doubt about it. And other than that, we appreciate you tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. Tell a friend. Check us out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Libsyn.com. Check me out on my Twitter account, at KickTheFB. So definitely check us out. Powers on Sports Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next week. Live from Tampa, Florida. Have a great weekend and enjoy the football.